Hey, trivia fans! Looking for an exciting and unforgettable way to add some fun and friendly competition to your events or team-building sessions? Last Call Trivia has you covered. Our unique web-based app allows players to participate individually or as a team, making it easier than ever to bring people together, spark curiosity, create connections, and make lasting memories. Host your own trivia anytime with our new subscription and experience the best in interactive entertainment. Even remote attendees can play along. Check out lastcalltrivia.com forward slash shop for more information. Welcome to the Last Call Trivia Podcast. I'm your trivia host, James Flippin, and I'm so happy to have all of our listeners join in on our trivia team today. It's our favorite part of Trivia Night. That would be the discussion that the questions spark and the connections those conversations create. That's why our trivia players always show their work in each and every episode of this here Last Call Trivia Podcast. The point is they talk through the thought process behind each of their answers as we go. And speaking of our trivia players, I am joined by the trivia team. Our Instagram followers have named them for this parliament, Grandma's Happy Hour. Grandma's Happy Hour made up of these players. First, introducing his mouth once broke the sound barrier. It's DJ Taylor. Thankfully, I saw the orthodontist and all ended up being well. (laughs) Ah, very good. And I'm sure that was an expensive bill, if I had to imagine. She's never met a tea she didn't like. It's Kelly Kitko. James, clearly you are unfamiliar with the vile, malevolent being known as Roybus. Oh, wow. <laughs> Technically, that's a Tizan. Uh, don't get me started on Roybus. Everything else All right. is great. Well, I promise that I won't. Up next, his dentist has asked him to stop chewing the scenery. It's Omen Thomas Sade. <laughs> My mother was a beaver. What can I say, James? Well, that explains it. Okay. In today's podcast, we'll be challenging the Last Call Trivia team, you just heard from them, with questions that previously appeared in Last Call Trivia shows in bars and restaurants around the country. Our podcast show has two rounds of trivia, three questions per those rounds, and then there's a bonus question sandwiched in between the two rounds, a final question as well that closes out the game. Before that, some digital housekeeping, if you will, and a quick reminder to our listening audience. If you enjoyed today's show, leave us a five-star rating on your streaming service of choice. Also, go ahead and drop us a listener review. You just might get a shout-out in a future Last Call Trivia podcast episode. And if you'd like to learn more about all of Last Call Trivia's products and services, go to lastcalltrivia.com. There's more ways there to get your trivia fix. For now, we will dive right into round number one. I'll read each question aloud for DJ Kelly and Omen, and then they have three minutes to both discuss and decide on an answer. They also need to choose a point wager amount, and the point wager options in round one are one point, three points, or six points. Doesn't matter what order they go in, but they can only use each wager amount once. 
Here's the categories for round number one. Cars, quotes, and movies. Oh, Cars, interesting. Cars, quotes, and movies. Always a good little mix there to start us off. Shifting gears right into this. A safety <laughs> feature in cars. What does the abbreviation S-A-B stand for? Three oh. minutes on the clock. And when you hear me say last call, that means they have 30 seconds left. Oh, man. Hmm. I've seen this in cars that I've been driving before. It's amazing how little we know about cars and how much we drive them all over the place. <laughs> okay, well, if oh. you guys don't know off the top, oh, you know it now? Then I, I will I shall I, not I, share my methodology since you know it already. What is no, it? I would love to hear your methodology. Okay, well, we'll see if my methodology would have worked out or taken us astray, as it often does. So I figured the B is likely the word, and the other two are likely adjectives describing the word. So I figured if we could figure out the B, like, for example brakes or belt or whatever, then we could kind of backtrack into the SAB if we knew what the B was. I think that's an excellent methodology. That, that doesn't work at all in this case. <laughs> no, it might. You might get there eventually. DJ, any, so, any thoughts from you? Is, is the B brakes? It's not brakes. If I'm oh. correct, let me preface all this by saying if I'm correct. Okay. So it didn't immediately ring any bells for me. When I heard S, I thought it was going to be the stability, you know, traction control system. The stability so enhancing barometer. <laughs> that would be that, that would be an a, E, wouldn't that's it? That's an E. Okay. <laughs> In Omen's way of spelling, we I'm, know it could be any vowel at all. Perhaps a little concerned. None. A little concerned at your belief that having a barometer on the car would contribute to stability. Spelling's but, a distraction. But okay. spelling, I'm, I'm spelling, the one who know. rides a dirigible. I'm the one who needs a barometer. Okay, DJ, so if it's not brakes, what's the B? If it's not brake or braking? Uh, Given that we have so little time left, I would encourage you to think about <laughs> the A and the B in conjunction with each other. Maybe some sort of a, a compound word. Is the A auto? Anti? No. Nope. Adjustable. It's all around uh, us, a Kelly. Compound word. All, air. Airbag. Safety airbag. Some kind of airbag. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well, it's a safety feature. So a collapsible airbag. A self-inflating airbag. Oh, it's so lovely a watching you suffer like this. Side. Side, Side airbags. Airbag. There you go. Nice. Oh, I, I think my S's were more exciting than that, but sure. Side they certainly airbag. were. And I'd love to see some what we're putting things. on that. I feel confident about this. I think we should put six rapidly inflating should... safety devices. Six were called Takata airbag expanders. They were recalled for poor propellant. Could... Yes. Okay. For six points, a safety feature in cars. What does the abbreviation SAB stand for? You guys say for six points, side airbags. That is correct. Yes. Side nice. airbags is Good the job. answer. Well done, Omen. Thank you. And a little fun fact for you just about airbags in general, because front-facing airbags are acquired as per safety features. That goes back to, I think, either 95 or 2005. 95, probably. Wow. But side airbags are optional. The first ever crash between two cars that had airbags, both of them, were two Chrysler LeBarons in 1990 driven by two drivers with the last name Woody and Van Steelant. Woody and Van Steelant in 1990. Huh. So, 
If only they'd been driving a Fiat 500 Abarth, then... They would have died instantly. (laughs) (laughs) Can I tell you one of my greatest irrational fears? Yes, oh God, please. So, when I'm a passenger, my favorite thing to do growing up, and by growing up I mean like still into my 20s, was drive with my feet up on the, like... The The dashboard? The, The dash? The dashboard. And then I thought one day, I was like, wow, if there was an accident and the airbag deployed, it would force my knees into my face, probably crushing my skull. And so this is one of my greatest fears and the only reason that I no longer put my feet on the dashboard. It's a legitimate fear. I've actually seen x-rays of a woman who had her feet on the dash in an accident and forget the airbag, just the crunch of the dashboard was enough to completely destroy her hips. So it is widely delivered safety advice and let this be a PSA to all our listeners. Do not ever put your feet on the dash in a car. Keep your feet on the floor where they belong. Kelly, you're so tall that if you were in a crash, your knees would not only crush your skull, but the skull of the passenger sitting behind you. (laughs) This is why I only ride in two seaters for everyone's safety. And that's just Omen really looking out for everybody, which which is good, which is good. Quotes, quotes is where we find ourselves now. Question two here in round number one, finishing the quote with... I'm either on one side or another. Harry Truman once famously stated that he never sits on what common object? Three minutes on the clock. Well, I mean, the concept, I think, has got to be related to sitting on a fence, right? Like being a fence sitter is is the idea that you're not coming down on one side or another, so you're sitting on the fence. That strikes me as a very old-fashioned phrase, which would put it in the right era. The most recent time that I heard that phrase used was actually by Ian Anderson, the lead and writer of my favorite band, Jethro Tull. I may have mentioned them before. Uh, <laughs> Only 1,237 times. Yeah. And he, he made a comment in an interview that he is somewhat of a professional fence sitter because he's very good at, at describing things without necessarily revealing his own position on them. And he is in his late 70s, early 80s. So... It comes to me as like an old-timey type of phrase, which makes sense. Well, the reason that I think it makes the most sense is because the other, like, what other common objects can you sit on? When you go through a list, none of them really involve one side or the other. Like, you could sit on a horse that's not on one side or the other. You could sit on a bar stool. You could sit on a, like, all the things that I could think of to sit on don't kind of match the quote, whereas a fence would clearly have one side or the other. Which side of the bicycle does he sit on? (laughs) <laughs> he could be a flagpole sitter. We can talk about that famous American pastime in the in the post show. You could sit on one side of the house or the other, but that's not really an object. I think a fence is more of an object than a house. Isn't, know, isn't that a your mama joke? As in your mama's so fat, when she sits around the house, she sits around, around the house. The I mean, house. is that? Yes. Yeah. That's a good one. I not that I'm condoning your mama jokes. I'm just uh, quoting a, a common a playground, playground well, joke. She sits around the house. Sorry. <laughs> in terms of the source, it's Harry Truman we're talking about, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. So it's going to be a political person making a speech to justify having a strong position on something. Oh. So he's going to want to be clearly, you know, on one side, rather with him or you're against him, whatever. So fence makes sense. If it's not the answer, it should be. In defense of fence, fence makes sense. James, what's the final category in this round? Movies. I think we should three points. 
Yeah, I agree. I think we should do three points on Harry S. Truman saying that he's not a fence sitter. Okay, go ahead and lock in three points here on question number two. Quotes, finishing the quote with, I'm either on one side or another. Harry Truman once famously stated that he never sits on what common object. You guys said fence. The answer, fence. Yes, nice. And I heard you guys musing about kind of where that term may have came from. Apparently, it was used rarely in the early 18th century, but didn't really come into major popularity until maybe the mid-1800s. And in 1884, the term was given a boost because a group of Republicans that were given the derogatory name Mugwumps supported the Democratic candidate, and they were accused of being birds sitting on a fence with their mugs on one side and their wumps on the other. remember the mugwumps, but I had no idea that's where their name came from. That's awesome. Wow. Mugwumps. Huh. So there are a couple of fence sitters, apparently, those mugwumps. Anyway, movies, like we alluded to, is the final category here in round number one. And the question is thus, what is the name of the hotel in the 1980 horror classic, The Shining? <laughs> yep. Nice. Oh, this is right up your one. alley, Kelly. So, first of all, have you seen the movie? I did see the film when I was, I think, too young to see it. And then I also saw part of the re-adaptation of it, the, the, re, the re-filming. What do you call that? Re-filming? What are you talking about? Is there a new version of The Shining that I just, like, eschewed entirely because it would be horrible? You eschewed it indeed, and there was one. Are you Unless serious? I'm completely Somebody man- remade The Shining? I think that they did. We'll look it up in the post show. But the original I was Jack Nicholson. Some, yeah, Jack Nicholson with the axe. Anyway, much too frightening for me in any case. And the hotel, I remember it's up oh, in the mountains. Right. It's up in the mountains. And it's kind of like on a promontory where you could see... Something view. Park view. Bellevue. Uh, scary view. Well, uh, um, <laughs> if you were going to look out and there was say a, a drop in front of Vista. you Precip- cliff view cliff it's, precipice it's two words it's, it's what if you were driving to word. Colorado and you're gonna pull off the side of the highway because you're gonna enjoy uh, a scenic uh, outlook uh, closer <laughs> uh, view view viewpoint god this is this is really outlook, tough outlook starts with the right letter and you got the second word correct uh, overlook there you yes, go good job well done. <laughs> that was painful. By the way, did either of you see Doctor Sleep, the sequel with Ewan McGregor in the role of Danny as an adult? I read the book, but I did not watch the movie. I actually really liked well, the movie. Cool. I mean, I, I would watch Ewan McGregor read the phone book, so I'm biased there. But I really thought it, it was well done. It kept in the tone and universe very much of the original. I thought it was a worthy sequel. It certainly wasn't Stanley Kubrick, but it was good. So highly recommend think- if you haven't seen it, watch it. I think we should go one jump cut on Overlook. I don't know if there are any jump cuts in the film. One Ewan's McGregor on... (laughs) One Scatman's Crother. (laughs) Overlook. Okay. The Overlook. All right. What is the name of the hotel in the 1980 horror classic The Shining? For one point, you guys say The Overlook. And it is The Overlook Hotel... 
So we will go ahead and lock in that final point for you here in round number one. And actually, interestingly enough, the hotel that the Overlook Hotel is based on, I've actually been to before in, in Estes Park, Colorado. Oh. And it's the Stanley Hotel, yep. which is considered one of the most haunted hotels in the United States and the inspiration for the Stephen King novel in 1977. By the way, Omen, there was a 1997 miniseries. So that okay. may be okay. what you're thinking of. That must have been it. A I miniseries the bit, of The Shining? I liked the bit with the topiaries. Yeah. <laughs> well, in the post-show, we can talk about how Kubrick mentally tortured poor Shelley Duvall. And we will move to the bonus question for now. The rules for the bonus question are a little bit different. Here's how we do it. The answer will be in the form of a number, and the players may not know the exact answer due to the bonus question structure, but that's okay. The idea is give your best guess. If it's within a certain range, you can still get the bonus point. At live last call trivia shows in bars and restaurants, the top 50% of teams that get the closest to the exact answer win the bonus point. For tonight, for this episode, the team has to get within that range that our writing team set ahead of time. Here's the question. The inspiration for the Overlook Hotel, we just talked about it. How many guest rooms does the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado have? Nice. Hmm. Okay. Okay. When I'm thinking of the film, I'm thinking of one of those big, symmetrical, I don't know, neo-Gothic buildings. And it looks like it has about three, four floors on it, right? And it's got a, a right wing and a, and a left wing or an east wing and a, and a south wing. So at least 10. At least 10 what? <laughs> at least 10 rooms? Yeah. Oh, wait a minute. Um, Here's a different way of going about see, it. Yeah. I have a different methodology. In the Excellent. film, are there not references to rooms with specific numbers? There are, and that's where I was going to go, because our friend with the photographic memory might remember when he goes to, for example, the room with the old woman in the bathtub, what room number is he looking at? I don't have that kind of memory. Yeah, but I think the initial thought of looking at the front, because there are several really clear establishing shots of the Overlook Hotel from the front, I think counting up the number of stories and then estimating the number of rooms back based on the length of the hallway. Remember where Danny is pedaling his tricycle down and runs into the ghost twins. Play with us forever, Danny. That gives us a good sense of how deep the halls were. And also another another role that I'm in, we plan large-scale events, and one of the properties that we do events at is the Coeur Resort. And CDA Resort has like 378 rooms. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a really tall tower. So it's taller and narrower than the Overlook. But I think it's roughly, you know, footprint-wise, a very similar total size. So I would wager that if you count up the number of stories, I think it's like six or seven. It's actually quite tall, to my recollection, for a mountain-type hotel. And I, I thought there were parts that were taller than others. Like, I can picture it in my head, but if you told me to sit down and draw it mm. and actually come up, I thought that center point with the peak was like a higher center, and then the sides didn't have the same height. This, my the, recollection the is piece, that it was, was pretty symmetrical. Oh. Yeah, I agree. Front. And the center, that center peak that you're thinking about, yeah. that's an architectural feature that's just decorative. Yeah. I just made a sketch of it, and I have, what's, four, what's 14 times 2? 28. What's 28, 28 yeah. times 2? 
So if because it, if it's 14 rooms on one side in the front, 14 rooms on the other side in the front, sorry, 14 yeah. rooms across the front, and right. then you duplicate that on the back so that every room has a, a, a view. So that's 28 okay. for the first floor. And then if you- Last call. And, and then, then the next- And you multiply that by four floors? By four floors, right. but we'd want to add a bit because the lobby takes some rooms out and the dining areas and all that. So we, we'd I mean, add a bit more for the upper floors. Four is 112, but to be honest with you, the first number that came to my head was 400, and DJ's thing of 378 sounded. I mean, I, I think the thing I agree. is large. I think it's I think it's more in that range. I would say somewhere. Yeah, I think my methodology is. Similar. Yeah, uh, let's say 350, 375, somewhere in there. Okay. Let's say 375. 375. Okay, 375. The inspiration for the Overlook Hotel, how many guest rooms does the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado have? You guys say 370, right? 375. 375, but maybe we should... (laughs) Sorry, 375. 375. The answer? 140. Hmm. And the range we were looking for was anywhere in between 120 and 160. Just point wow. of clarification here. What did my methodology come up with here? What was my number that we came to? Did you say the range was 120 to 160? That's a brutally narrow range. We still would have gotten it wrong because you came up with 112. Hadn't you gotten were... to the part about adding wow. the rooms on the top floors that were, well, heard... anyway. Hey, hey, let's not forget that the A-Wing is the fastest Star Wars ship in atmosphere, okay? <laughs> let's just not lose sight of that. Very what, true. Wait, how many is it? What, what was the actual number? 140. 140. 140. Wow. Wow. Brutal. Yep. 140. Okay. Moving on to round number two. The questions in the second round will be themed to a specific topic. And today's theme is namesakes. Oh. Namesakes. Hmm. Interesting. So in this round, the point wager options have updated to two, five, or seven points. And just like the first round, the team can only use each wager once. They do have those higher options to work with. And these categories, food, animals, and video games. Oh. Food, animals, and video games. I'm very excited about this. Here's the food question. What kind of sausage uh-oh. would authentically be called Mortadella in its namesake city. Ah! Yeah, yes. Three I, minutes. I think, I, think I, I think we can probably three, two, one this if Kelly's got it. Uh, well, Kelly might Kelly be at a disadvantage here. Kelly's still the word sausage. <laughs> Omen, if I'm thinking of the correct one, these come in a, in a little can. Oh. Can. Oh, no, no, no. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. It's not those. No, bad DJ. Sausage in a can. Bad DJ, bad DJ. No, I know what you're thinking of. I I know what you're thinking of, DJ, and you are sadly misguided. You're taking the sausage train the wrong direction. (laughs) So you're not the first person to tell DJ that. Um, So if I had to approach this from a methodology standpoint, I don't know anything I'm just going to walk into this trap. I don't know anything about sausage. If I'm looking at the word and trying to break it down, morta to me is, is death. So I'm looking at a word for a, a sausage that has something to do with death, dead, deadly, death. Kelly, 
Yeah, well, eating too much of any sort of sausage will result in a slow and painful death. However, you're on the right track with the etymology, but you're wrong because you're failing to factor in a regional dialects. So, DJ, you were thinking of Vienna sausage. Yeah. But that's that's not what this is. Mortadella is an Italian regional thing. It's a big, soft, it's like this big. And in America, we cut slices of it. In Italy, they, they'll chop it up in different ways. But it's a mix of different meats, and it has a softness to it. And the Italian for soft is morbido. So it's it's it actually means soft, the big softy. Makes sense to me, but I know the answer. So, <laughs> so Omen, your big soft, soft sausage is what? Yeah, well, I actually, I actually encountered, I encountered this big soft sausage at a street festival when I was visiting this city in Italy, which is renowned for its universities and its archways. It is the city of Bologna. Oh. I thought that was an American invention. It's the name of calling mortadella baloney is an Americanization of saying Bologna, Bologna. You know, Parma, uh, Parmigiano is from Parma. So a lot of... Well, if we're going to wager just on, you know, Omen's knowledge base of sausage, I would say we can go ahead and wager the seven points. I think we should dangle seven waggling sausages out there on Bologna. You know, I don't know a lot about everything, but what I do know about, I know about in depth. Yes. <laughs> and we'll just leave it there. All right, so you guys are going to say Bologna, and you're putting seven points on this. The question was, what kind of sausage would authentically be called mortadella in its namesake city? And you are correct. Bologna is right. So you get those seven points to kick things off here in round number two. And obviously, Omen knows much more than I could ever say about this, but it's made of finely hashed or ground meat-cured pork, Mm. and it usually incorporates at least 15% small cubes of pork fat, which is made from the hard fat from the neck of a pig, Mm. typically flavored with black pepper grains, but you can also find it made with pistachios or myrtle berries. My huh. mouth is watering. That sounds a little more upscale than the Oscar Mayer product I'm picturing in my head. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. So that's a little bit of a deep dive on bologna. And we'll go now to animals. What dog breed derives its name from the French word for butterfly due to its characteristic yeah. butterfly-like look of long and fringed hair on the ears. Well, I don't think it just derives its name. I think it's the direct translation. This is another one where I'm pretty sure we can two one this, but maybe not three two one this. Looking at the expressions on everyone's faces, DJ, do you no, have no. this one? Maybe. Maybe. You might have heard it in the context of of a bow tie. I maybe. was thinking, is there not a famous movie also with this name? I think there is. Yeah. But I don't know how to give a hint on it. You're not thinking yeah. of the butterfly effect. No, I'm thinking of the word in French. Is it a small fluffy dog? It is uh, a small fluffy dog. It looks do- a lot like a Chinese crested, but with more fur. Because the first thing that came to mind was a Pomeranian. No, oh, no. no, no, not like that. That's a little puffball. This is a much narrower, slighter dog that doesn't have fluffy fur. It has uh, fur that falls almost more like a Lhasa Apsa that goes like this, and that's the picture for the ears, because the ears, when they point up, 
the hair strings down and creates this butterfly effect, as he said. The shape of the ears with the hair trailing down in strings looks like a butterfly or the direct translation for the French word for butterfly. Cannot yep. picture it. And I have a, a dear friend who would be so ashamed at my remedial ability in French. But in fairness, I never studied the language, so right. <laughs> not a clue. Cool. Since we're running out of time, I shall just say it is the papillon. Yes, indeed. I do believe this is the first time in my life I've ever heard that word. <laughs> really? Yep. I think the, the other reference you guys were searching for is that there was a famous thief, right? Like a safe yeah, cracker? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh? Well, I, I, maybe there was a movie about the thief, and that's what I'm thinking of. But we should definitely put five small, yappy chiens on Papillon. Yeah, I like okay. it. So we're going with five on this one. What dog breed derives its name from the French word for butterfly? Due to its characteristic butterfly-like look of long and fringed hair on the ears. You guys say for five points, papillon. The answer, papillon. Nice. Yes. Well done. <laughs> Great team effort. In, in my imaginary movie that I've created, Gene Hackman is the star. I think I was giving you a false lead, DJ. I think in French, they sometimes refer to a bow tie as a papillon because it has that butterfly effect. In the same way that in Italian, what we horrifically call bow tie pasta, which is incorrect and, and a shame and, and a crime, farfalle? actually, it's, is farfalle, which means butterfly. Gotcha. And by the way, just to mention, Kelly, it was actually Steve McQueen and Dustin yes! Hoffman. Yes! Yes! I get Steve McQueen mixed up with Gene Hackman. The movie exists. <laughs> There you go. All right. And also, let me just mention that a papillon is also sometimes known as the Continental Toy Spaniel, and it's the oldest of the toy spaniels, huh. as a matter of fact. Okay. Video games is how we'll close out round number two. The question, what Nintendo character was allegedly named after the American lawyer who defended Nintendo in a trademark infringement case? versus Universal City Studios, Incorporated, in 1984. Whoa. So Nintendo has a history of naming their characters after real-world people. And before we come back to this, I will say this is actually a local story. So Nintendo of America is headquartered here in the greater Seattle area, today in Redmond, but they were originally headquartered south of Seattle. And the businessman who owned the office park that they were in was a man named Mario Sigali. And Sigali Park is a large development in a city called Tequila, which is south of Seattle, just a couple of miles. And he cut Nintendo of America a break on their rent because in 1982, before the NES came out here in the U.S., NOA was struggling financially. And so he gave them a little bit of a break. He said, you're going to be fine. We'll figure it out. And they did, of course. And then the rest, as they say, is history. And in honor, they took a character who had been named Jumpman in the original <laughs> Donkey Kong and named him Mario in honor of Mario Sigali. And Mario Sigali actually died as a neighbor with a former boss of mine at an agency that I worked for when I first started working in nonprofits. So, small world. Ascended that big green pipe in the sky. That's right. So, this so, is another similar story, and I've it's right on the tip of my tongue. Can we think of Nintendo games here? Yeah. So, it's so, got to be a human sounding. It's not going to be Kirby. I suppose it, it is could Kirby. be. What? Really? Yep. Nintendo does this. This is their thing. They named a lot of their early characters 
after people that were instrumental in helping them launch, especially in the U.S. It was it was it was Kirby. I was wow. I was trying to think of the the character's name. I could picture him, and the name wasn't coming to me because I kept thinking of other. But yeah, Found it's Kirby, the pink round guy who eats everything. Yeah, yeah, fantastic, a very fantastic popular game. character. He's been in hundreds hundreds of games and, and media properties over the years, and up there with Samus from the Metroid series and Link from the Legend of Zelda series, Donkey Kong, all those iconic okay. Nintendo characters. What I had heard was that the design of Kirby was a temporary stand-in. Last call. That's right. Uh, they they yes. just put a ball in the video game when they were developing it, and they liked it so much, they said, oh, we'll just keep this. So I right. think we should go two victorious inhalations on Kirby. Yes. Okay, Kirby. And the question, video games, what Nintendo character was allegedly named after the American lawyer who defended Nintendo in a trademark infringement case versus Universal City Studios Incorporated in 1984? You guys say Kirby for two points. That is correct. Kirby is the answer. And that was very frustrating for me personally because I had a chance to watch you guys squirm. And then Olin's <laughs> like, oh, it wasn't Kirby. And then he's like, oh, yeah, it was Kirby. So, yeah, that that was so, frustrating. But, sorry for that um, anti-climax. Anti very much so, yes. But interestingly enough, the case that he defended Nintendo in was involving Donkey Kong hmm. because Universal Studios basically said that violated a King Kong right. trademark. And... Nintendo disagreed. They went to court, and Kirby was the lawyer for them in that particular case. So there you go. Wow. And that takes us to the final. It is a multi-part question. It's also the only question today that our team can lose points on. This is how it goes. The trivia team must decide whether or not they want to wager any points on this question. And it comes down to this, either five points or zero points. So basically, they don't have to risk anything here. They can just go through the exercise, but they can also put five points on it. And if they get every portion of the question right, then they get the five points. Miss any of it, you lose the five points. That's how it is. Risk it, biscuit. Before we get to that final question, let's give the team an update as to where their score currently stands. And that'll help them decide whether or not they want to wager those five points. As through the first eight episodes of Parliament Number Four, and by the way, a Parliament is a grouping of ten episodes, so we're eight in here. This is Parliament Number Four, and the team's average final score through this Parliament so far is twenty-two point six points. Twenty-two point six points, and right now you all have twenty-four points. So mm-hmm. keep that in mind when deciding whether or not to wager you are slightly outpacing your average here. Hmm. The final television. Put the following TV shows in order of when they are set. Oh. From earliest to most recent. So we're talking when the TV shows are set. And I need you to go from earliest to most recent. Okay, here's the TV shows. <laughs> I don't suppose one of these is going to be 1883. <laughs> if they were all Star Trek, we'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's true. A, The Americans. B, Black Sails. C, Downton Abbey. D, Hell on Wheels. And E, 
Mad Men. Right. And again, five minutes on the clock here. Five minutes on the clock. I think I've got four of these in terms of the rough era, but I've never heard of Hell on Wheels. Yeah, I've got two, and I don't trust that they're the ones that you don't have. All right, you want to start at the top? Sure. Okay, so The Americans, I loved this show. I thought this show was fantastic, and it is very decidedly set in the Cold War around the time of Reagan being elected, I think. So I'm yep. going to put that around 1980. Yep, I had it in the 80s. Carrie Russell is phenomenal in that show. And so is... Matthew Reese. No, oh, um, Margot Martindale. Margot Martindale. She's just the, amazing. The one who I thought was actually the standout, and I can't remember the actress's name, so that doesn't help, but the one who played the woman who Matthew Reese marries. Do you remember her? She has, like, um, the secretary that he was using. Let's, let's go through the others, and, and maybe we can come back to this. Heartbreaking. Okay, come back Black to Sails. So that's that's set in the, that's piracy, right? I think that's set in the Caribbean in the 1700s. Okay. Downton Abbey. That isn't that Great Britain in the 1800s? Late 1800s. The first train line is installed. That's a plot point, and right. some of the characters go on to establish the Rolls Royce Company. So it's at the very, it's it's right so when the train and the motor car are coming out. So I was I was saying 1870. Yeah, I thought it was 1880s, but yeah, some, somewhere in there. It could be. It could be. So let's skip Helen Wheels for a moment and go to Mad Men, which, even though I've not seen it, I've seen the fashion, so I'd put that squarely in the 60s. Yeah, it's ad agencies in the 1960s. Early okay. 60s, though, because they're transitioning from the... Well, not that it matters at this point. Yes. So right. what is Hell on Wheels? Is it a biker show? No clue. Um, I'm, I, never heard of it. I have never heard of it, but... There are wheels involved, so if we want, if we want to try to suss it out, the wheels so, it could be about or villain Wilbur Wright and their bicycle shop and how crazy it was in you know the mid eighteen hundreds. Based on wheel in the title, it is probably sometime after ten thousand BCE. Hmm, I think it's safe to say that is correct. I mean, you know, just going on the title, I'm going to say it's going to be like Sons of Anarchy or some sort. That's- that's exactly what I was thinking of. Show that skews modern. I mean, unless it's about the founding of the Hell's Angels, which is possible, it's going to skew later than everything else we've talked about. When were the Hell's Angels founded? Do we know? Earlier Are than we sure? the Americans. Are we sure it's Hell on Wheels and not Hell on Heels? <laughs> it is wheels. It is wheels with a with a double hue. Wheel with a. Wheels. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see uh, it being about the Hell's Angels. About, it, it could be about the Hell's Angels. It could be about any of the kind of like muscle cars in the seventies that could put it squarely between Mad Men and the Americans. It could the reality shows. What are they like? American Chopper and the guy who was married to Sandra Bullock for a minute. You know, doing kind of the the modern Jesse James stuff. I, I, that's it's the wild card to me. So I guess the question is, would we put it? between Downton Abbey and Mad Men or would we put it between Mad Men and the Americans or would we put it after or the Americans or do we put it more modern um, right hell on wheels given the reference to hell it's probably something post roughly 5 to 4000 BCE I don't know it's a toss up as to where I'd put it based on the title DJ what do you think well that's cool 
Last call I, now. I think we don't know, so I don't think we can bet the points. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. The points. I just don't know what? where to put it. We've got four Kelly, out of the five for sure. It's just the fifth. Yes, that's the question. Th- that means we have three possibilities. It's a toss-up with a three-sided it's, coin. It's a complete toss-up. I think we don't bet the points. All right, I fine. wouldn't if bet the points. If we're not betting the points, then I'm gonna put it in my era of ELO on eight track. So we're gonna go with Black Sails is first, Downton Abbey is second. Mad Men is third. Hell on Wheels, we can only hope, is about the wonderful Americana in the 1970s, and the Americans rounds it out with 1980. Yeah. Okay. And, and you're not going to wager the five points. I don't know. Now I kind of want to. But no, my better my better <laughs> sense is telling me not to. Let's not. We're, we won't. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, you should be happy that you did not wager the five points, as you're pretty close Black Sails, that's correct. Hell on Wheels is up next, as a matter of fact. Hell on Wheels is a lot earlier than you guys thought. Then Downton Abbey, then Mad Men, then the Americans. So you didn't have it. What on is Wheels. Hell on Wheels about? Is it about Hell bicycles? On... No, Hell on Wheels is an AMC show about the Transcontinental Railroad advancing out west. And oh, wow. Hell on Wheels refers to the camp that traveled with those construction okay. laborers where there was all kinds of merchants and prostitutes and criminals and all these people that were kind of caught up in that camp, and that was hell on wheels. So if I had my tea shop on the Oregon Trail, I would know this answer because they would have come by, is what you're saying? Probably so. Okay. Probably so. Yeah. So nicely done, and a wise decision, as it turns out, not to wager the five points. You guys finish up with 24 out of a total possible 30 points. Nicely done by our team, Grandma's Happy Hour. And I would like to say thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning into the show. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share today's episode. If you're looking for more trivia fun, head over to lastcalltrivia.com. Check out our live shows, private events, trivia card game, and more. We'll be back next week for another episode of the Last Call Trivia Podcast. Until then, stay curious. So a fun little note about that era when Hell on Wheels was set. That is the time period and the specific situation during which the goji berry plant, also called the wolfberry, was introduced to the United States from northern China because of all of the Chinese immigrants who were coerced, perhaps, into unsafe and unpleasant labor conditions. And they brought the goji berry or the wolfberry along with them because you can make a certain tea out of its leaves, going back all the way to the top of the show. And, and that's how we got the goji berry. Yeah, right on. Wow. And by the way, I did not actually give you guys the years for those shows, so I'll just give them to you now. Black Sails, early 18th century. Hell on Wheels, 1865. It actually kicks off like right after the assassination of Lincoln through 1869. Then Downton Abbey, 1912 to 1926. Mad Men, 1960 through 1969. And then the Americans, 81 through 87. Did you say Downton Abbey was 1912? Yes. Wow.
So the answer about Harry S. Truman and is he sitting on one side or the other, and it made me think of flagpole sitters. Flagpole sitters, are you aware, was a craze in America in... I'm gonna say it's a depression thing that runs through, like oh, yeah. maybe the 20s through the 50s. So I just think it's amazing that if I were to think about what is the record, I was thinking that like, oh, you know, maybe somebody could sit on a flagpole, you know, if they're pushing it for like 24 hours. Little did I realize that this was like a national phenomenon and people would travel from city to city and draw a crowd to watch them sit on a flagpole. And this would go on for like, it's at least 40 days. It might be in the 70s, but somebody definitely sat on the top of a flagpole for 40 days. Yeah, Which, so uh, it's along the same lines as those jitterbug dance competitions the where they would dance see competitions marathon that dance competitions got outlawed because they just became untenable for the participants because it's like fun at first when it's 12 hours when it gets into weeks and people yeah. are like borderline dropping dead you know somebody's got to have common sense one gentleman sat on top of a flagpole platform of course i mean obviously this person came down at some point but for 117 days in yeah, 1949 I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. to support an, the Cleveland Indians and their pennant race against the Yankees. There's another version of something similar, which is called the hands on a hard body contest. It's more prevalent in the south of the U.S. And what would happen, this still, I think, goes on today. A vehicle dealership will put up a car and the participants will all have to put on these white cotton gloves and they have to put their hands on the car. And they can do whatever they want, but they have to keep their hand on the car. And the person who removes their hand from the vehicle last wins the car. And it goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks. They get 10-minute breaks now and again. There's actually a musical called Hands on a Hard Body, which is by far the worst musical I've ever seen in my entire life. But <laughs> it could have had more to do with the production than the content itself. Omen, would it surprise you or not if I were to tell you? that my cousin won a car in the very fashion that you describe by going to, it may have been the Harford Mall, it may have been the Towson Town Center in Baltimore, and... It's it was a hands-on a hard-body touching. competition. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't called that, though. Like, we, I, I never heard it called that in Maryland. But yes, I can attest to the fact that it is a legitimate thing. And then, unfortunately, I think, because, you know, you've got to pay taxes on those things. So sometimes winning a car isn't the best thing in the world if you then have to fork over the cash to cover the taxes on the prize winnings. But it's quite a lot of psychological damage, too, because you're not just on your own trying to beat a record. You're there with the other people. And so you're trying to, you know, psych them out and game them out and... And inspire them to let go of the car and... Uh, Trick them into doing so. <clears throat> I don't recall hearing you say this, Kelly, so feel free to correct me if you've already said it, but Shelley Duvall quit acting for a significant period of time mm. after The Shining because she was so traumatized. She went on audition for a production, and when she showed up to screen test, the lights and camera freaked her out. She had a panic attack. She described this years later in interviews and whatnot, and I think it's in her memoir, too. But she just she simply couldn't handle the dynamic of being on a set just sent her into panic. That's how traumatic the experience was. So what you wow. see on screen isn't really acting. It's actually genuine. And I think that's a criticism. I don't think that's a testament to Kubrick. I think that's really a criticism. Uh, I'm reminded of, of what was the film that, that Laurence Olivier did with <laughs> Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. And, you know, Hoffman is keeping himself up awake for yes. days. 
and, and Olivia comes in and he's like, well, you look terrible, my boy. And, and Hoffman's like, yeah, I've been staying awake, you know, so I could really, really get in the character. And, and Olivia's like, my dear boy, it's called acting, you know? And it's like yeah. the, the idea that method actors have, I don't really think being quote unquote real, I don't think that's acting, right? Acting is creating something real out of a fictional input, whether it's a script or improv or whatever, but it's creating real emotion without it necessarily being quote unquote real in the sense that you're living it. And I've just never been a fan of that methodology I think Kubrick and Shelley Duvall, that's a prime example as to why. Which is why, James, we all want to talk to you. You have to stop torturing us with these questions. It's not real acting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm a Meisner actor, and our... You're a Meisner actor. I'm a Meisner. Mr. Meisner's statement that we try to live by is, you are living truthfully under imaginary circumstances. Thank you, yes. I I can't imagine a scenario in which 187 takes are necessary to achieve anything, but really the purpose of it, he just wanted to keep torturing her for 187 times in order to essentially like break her down to fit this role when I think she was doing just fine. Listen, this has been the Last Call Trivia Podcast. Please remember to like, subscribe, and... Share. Share this here episode with your friends. You're always a welcome part of the team at the Last Call Trivia Podcast.